we're here with Jeff Browning on Run Beyond Podcast. And uh, if you don't know, where have you been hiding for the last 20 years? But uh, <laughs> Jeff Browning is uh, now the second most winning 100-mile runner in the world, right, Jeff? Yes, second. Yeah. Tied for second. Tied for second on his with way. the great Ann Trayson. Yeah, not a bad person to be tied with. No, not at all. I, I like to be. I like to be rubbing elbows with Ann right now. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, pray. pretty spectacular. So we're going to talk to Jeff today about all of his amazingness. You know, Jeff just won a, a hundred miler. Imagine that this month uh, in Zion Zion Ultras one hundred, and uh, we're going to talk Jeff about his diet, about his longevity, how he does it, how he keeps rocking. How he just looks like he's got this boyish figure still. All of that kind of stuff today. <laughs> talking with Jeff. And of course, Jason Brooks is with me. How are you doing, Jason? I'm good. I'm excited for this conversation. So Jeff, yeah, it, what was it like uh, two weeks ago, week and a half ago, you were in Utah and did an altered course on Zion. And I've heard that the course was extra spicy and badass. And it's been what your longest gap uh, for not Between running 100. It's been a long time. I, I mean, I've run First hundred is 2002, so 03 I didn't run one. Second hundred was in 04, so I've run a hundred every single year since 2004. Starting in 07, I started running two a year. Starting in 14, I started running four a year. Wow. Um, so I've run three to five a year since 2014. So I've never gone more than three or four months without running a hundred in about six years until COVID, and then I took a 16 month hiatus from. I ran 150 miler right before COVID, and then I ran 100k at Tushers 100k, um, and which runs kind of like 100, but still not technically 100. Uh, Jason knows that one well. It's hard. Um, one of the best so, in the country, that's for sure. Yeah, it is a hard 100k. Um, but that's why I only ran two races in 2020. So um, that was my first 100 back after the COVID stuff. So. Um, 16 month hiatus. I remembered that they kind of hurt in the last 20, 30 miles. Um, <laughs> there was a little bit of, I don't know, man. I think there's, when you run one every three or four months, there's like kind of muscle memory there. So you just, you, you get in there and your body just goes, Oh yeah, we do this. I know what we're doing. And, and it was like, Oh, I don't think I know what I'm doing anymore. Uh, it's kind of <laughs> like hurts. a virgin. You're, you're a 40, what year old virgin? 48? Totally 49. <laughs> Woo! 49-year-old virgin again, man. I'm glad I'm glad you got that, like, you know, refresher. That's that's good for you. Yeah. <laughs> it was good to have a refresher before Western States. Um, so, and Western States, Hard Rock, Bigfoot. I'm doing, like, the trifecta this summer. So, um, big You're delving night. into the 200. Yeah. Bigfoot. Oh, man. And, and you got to go back and do that 100 and that, that, that top 10, man. You know, that's going to be exciting. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it's a hot, hot, hot year. <laughs> like 180. You got a taste of that Zion. It was, pretty, it was pretty toasty. Yeah. It was toasty. It was 15 degrees above normal. It was eight. It was low 80s as a high that day. Um, normally it's it's like mid 60s. So Perfect. It, and it was sunny. It was bluebird. So and there's no shade. I mean, I was running down some of the. Some of the sections of like road or gravel road sections, like there's like, you know, an embankment with some grass. I was like, like shade on my calves. Oh, mm. You'd run on the side of the road where there's shade, <laughs> there's shade on my calves. My lower legs are like shaded at least, you know, just like get out of the sun. 
Yeah. Uh, did, did you wish yeah. you had the like ducktail, like old school, like uh, yeah, Marathon dude. de Sables hat or something? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like looking for like something on my neck. Um, well, that's but, good. You got that experience before Western States, and that, that that's 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 a fantastic warm up for that. Literally, right? Yeah, totally. Good. Yep, exactly. Good. Yeah. So you have twenty two. Anne has twenty two. Carl has what forty forty one. I try to look and, and I six forty six. It's forty five or forty six. He's okay. He's so far out there, man. Like yeah. he, I would. I mean, I don't. He's untouchable. Like, I think, because, I mean, I would have to run, I'd have to cherry pick every small hundred in the world over the next six years mm-hmm. and, and not run anything else. I just have to concentrate on like trying to get wins even to get close to him. He's cause he was winning four to six hundreds a year in the two thousands mm-hmm. um, because he was like, he was dirt bagging it out of his truck and, you know, slinging drinks in the winter and in park city and yeah. like running and running in the San Juans, you know, so he was super fit all the time in the summer and he'd race hard and he just would do that, you know, yeah. before he's no, no disrespect at all to any of those 46. I mean, you know, it's a hundred miler just to complete it and do it well is, is you know, that's unhumanly, uh, you know, but from personal experience, you know, I was running and knowing about hundreds and fifties and 50 Ks in 2008, 2010, and I was, you know, 2006, and I was kind of like, oh, it's kind of these old guys that are out there drinking gin and running three times a day. Uh, you know, I don't know. So he, you know, there wasn't quite as much of the competition, you know. That that leads us to, to the question Jason and I had. Is there a possibility, is there a guy, a gal, that can go get into the 30s, the 40s, the 50s for wins? What, what, what's, what's your take on that? Jeff, how, how, what is the recipe? Is it, you know, is it, is it reasonable? How has it changed? Not with the competition, the competitions, the competitions at next level, man. It's like, I mean, if you look, just compare it to times, right? If you just look at crunch time data, right? Yeah. Like the wins that like say Scott Jurek at Western States, when he won seven times, all a bunch of Carl's wins at hundreds, like at hard rock, for example, right? He won hard rock a bunch of times. Like, some of those winning times would not even be in the top five anymore, mm-hmm. you know, at hard rock yeah. or at Western States. Some of Jurek's would barely be in the top 10. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. like, so it, the, the competition's next level. I mean, that, I, and that's one thing I've been around for 21 years in the sport and, and sponsored mm-hmm. since Oh three. So, you know, I've been racing since 2003, 2004, kind of taking it kind of seriously. And um, it, it's just so much faster. Like you have to bring it, like you got to have a game ready at any bigger race. And, you know, I mean, some of my top tens at Western States would have beat Jurek in 99 through 2005. Yeah. Right. You know, it, it, I'll bring up two points here that there's also, you know, when I was in Colorado in 2010, 11, 12, you know, there was hard rock. There was Leadville. That's all I know of. Now there's Ure. Now there's High Lonesome. Now there's Run Rabbit Run, you know, that we started the first year. So, I mean, in theory, 
somebody could do that. But but I feel like the people that have been the the, the superstar champion, you know, hundred winners, you know, it's like Scott and Ann and you and 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 Carl, they wanted not necessarily they weren't thinking you know 2022 of you know how many wins am i going to have then necessarily maybe but we're thinking no, it just i want to like i want to win and you know there's just some joe or jane you know that's in you know 20 right now could be like okay do i want to go and do you know particular races and, and like really focus and, and, and try to win at, at a competitive place or maybe i can go and like snake around and train myself to do four to six hundreds and and do the the one in belgium do the one in kansas do the one in you know missouri or or whatever and and you know collect i I think it is possible but you would have to take an approach that you carl and scott myself never took and that was to be like oh my gosh let's find some over here and there and all that kind of you know I don't think that that's what. Uh, yeah, it's more. Safe. It's organic. We just race what we. You're right. We we just race what we want to race, and it's happened naturally and organically. Um, you know, I. I mean, now it's on my radar. Yeah, you know? I know Carl. I, I know Carl doesn't tell people what he's going to do for some of these hundreds. You know, a few years ago. Yeah, no, but you know what? <laughs> what? One of the things I I didn't even know that I was close to Anne. I mean, this kind of shows how organic it is. Yeah. I didn't even know I was close to Ann until Carl sent me a note. He was like, man, do you know you're like right behind Ann in the second most wins behind me? And I was like, really? I was like, so that wasn't even on my radar until I had 20 wins. And he said, you know, she has 22. And that's when I was like, well, I need to start getting, I need to make sure I get a few more wins then. Um, yeah. So, uh, but I like, I like the competition too. And I like the, the, I like racing Western States and I like yeah. going to hard rock and I'm not, I'm, you know, the chance of winning those is pretty slim for my age and who I am. Yeah. Um, but I can be competitive and I can be in the top 10 or I can be on the pod, try to be on the podium, you know, or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, and I did get one hard rock win. I was stoked about that, but it, you know, that was also like a, a weird year, you know, with someone who, you know, there was a DQ. So yeah, Xavier. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I know Jeff that in four years, five years, there, there's going to be a hundred somewhere that you know you could go win, and, and I, it, you know, because you're badass, a, and then b, you know that you know there, there's some hundreds that that wouldn't have tons of competition. So you did it organically, and you you never did some like what where what hundred, you know, like so. I think it's legit and it's awesome and it's pure yeah. and it's cool. But I, I I think that there is somebody that could could go do a win collection. You know, like, you know, just like, yeah, they'd guys. have to concentrate on it. Yeah. They'd have to focus on it now. Like yeah. it would have to be like a career a decade of focus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> would it, would it be worth it? Well, I mean, think about it this way. It'd be fun. What's the most, if you've been crunched the data, what's the most, what's the most hundreds you can technically run a year, four or five. If you can win four of those every year, it's going to take you. It's going to take you 11 years of four wins a year to catch Carl. Yeah. If you're in your 20s and you did three a year, you know, let's be reasonable. They don't have all the things that you're going to tell us about dialed. But you got to win every one. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
but but you go out of your way to do that. Maybe you can travel. Maybe you're a trust fund kid or something like that, and just go out and do it or something. <laughs> and you know the sports the sports growing, so it, we're we're hopefully past COVID now. Maybe somebody could take it as a pursuit. But yeah, totally. I don't know. Interesting stuff, man. <laughs> totally. Jeff, how do you how do you do it? How do you keep running that much every year? And how did you pull it off for that many years? What's your secret? Uh, I mean, in the early days, um, earlier days, I was just kind of like, I found that hundreds, I I just had, I did well at them and I was consistent and, and so I just started like running those, concentrating on them more in the late two thousands. Cause I got my first win in 05 at Bighorn and, and it came back in 06 and got the course record and and won again. And then I was like, that was really on my radar. And then I started winning them every year. I had at least one win a year for a long time until 2011. I took a hiatus that year from doing as many, I think I did only three that year and I ran more competitive ones. So I didn't win. Um, and, and, and I fought an injury that season a little bit. So I, I broke that streak of winning one a year uh, which kind of bums me out because I would have, because then I picked right back up in 12 and won one every year since ever since. So except for 2009 or 20 with COVID. So, um, but anyway, I just kind of started running them and that was my kind of focus for a while. And then, um, you know, after a while, I, I, I just, once I got in my forties, I really started embracing, um, uh, through finding basically P90X, um, you know, I just started doing my own home workouts and then I evolved them into my own stuff from that, just that influence. And then, um, just started coming up with stuff I could do at home and I could be consistent with, with my busy schedule. Cause you know, I was running my own business, graphic design business at the time, full time. And I had three kids at home and, um, my wife homeschooled. So it was one income too. So I was breadwinner. So I was like, you know, balancing the racing thing and running and then trying to do this full-time design work. So I was just constantly trying to find time, like things that were time crunch I could do in really small amount of time, like 21 minute workout, you know, and three days a week or something. And, and so once that started, um, once that started happening, I, I, I got stronger in my forties. Like I kind of re-embraced strength training. I'd always strength trained some, but I was really inconsistent in my thirties. And so I really got better at it in my forties and really embraced that piece. So that helped. And that, that, that generally just helps mobility. If you're, you know, strength, right. full range of motion, all that kind of stuff. For but sure. then once I got mid forties, um, I still was like, I get that mid forties and I was getting that little extra spare tire around the middle. And I was having a few health issues after traveling and racing in Patagonia. And like, I don't know whether I got bad water or whatever. And, and then I, I totally like had a pretty rough 2015 and that's when I did the nutritional shift at the end of 15. And that was a game changer, like mm-hmm. for, for longevity. And for me, like all of a sudden my recovery was like back to like when I was like in my early thirties and I was like, Whoa, that's kind of different. I mean, Zach Bitter had told me it was going to be different. But I didn't really believe him. Um, and I just really saw the inflammation go down. Um, I, my weight, I dropped eight pounds. I got lean again, like back to my high school weight, you know, when I was 18 in my forties, that was my mid forties. And I was like, Oh man. And then all of a sudden, like my recovery was so fast that I could just come back and race again and come back and race again. 
like another hundred and, and do well still and be not just run it, but race it. And so that kind of like snowballed the last five years with the dietary change plus mobility and, and strength. And then I started embracing like mobility too. So like, you know, making sure my range of motion was good, but also strength was good. So, you know, keeping good movement patterns in all three planes of motion and all that kind of stuff and really kind of embrace that as my coaching business took off in 2016, 2017. And then all of a sudden I quit doing graphic design and coaching became full time. And so then it was just athlete and coaching. And so those two kind of play together. And so then when I'm, you know, when I'm working, I'm geeking out about mobility I'm geeking out about strength training and I'm doing challenges with my athletes on, I mean, I do a challenge every week right now. I did a strength, full body strength, 30 minute strength routine every day of February and every day of March where it's full body, core, upper body, lower body. And I'm doing a challenge four of seven days all right now every week. So it keeps me accountable and it get, it makes my athletes, whoever wants to jump in every week can get an extra like strength day. Like they have three on their, their schedule, right? Two to three. And I, and I call out four of seven days. So you just have to like do four of seven days. So it makes them do extra credit every week, but it makes me do four hmm. because I do every week. I like, I don't miss a week. And that keeps me accountable too. So if I'm busy, I'm like, oh man, it's almost before midnight. I got to knock out this workout <laughs> and check in on Strava. So, you know, like that's kind of how we do it through our, my private Strava group that I coach. And, um, uh, so anyway, that, that that's, kept, I think those, everything that's not running because running has been very consistent as far as volume and mileage a year. And, you know, over the last 10 years, it's been pretty close to the same. Like I can't handle much more time-wise and, but, you know, I kind of ebb and flow and I end up about 2,700 to 3,000 miles a year, you know, every year it's somewhere in that range. And, and there was some cycling in there too. Mm -hmm. And other than that, you know, the, the one thing that's changed the most, the last five years has been mobility, strength, and nutrition. How would you describe your, your food lifestyle? I mean, it's a lot like Jason. I mean, it, Slarb and I are really close to the same, like she's kind of paleo, um, you know, grain-free, sugar-free and everyday diet, 80 to 90% of the time. It leaves some room for some cheating and leaves some room for going out with some friends traveling. and having a beer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Traveling, you know, you can let, let the reins a little looser, but I'm pretty strict. I find that I work, I do better when I'm strict. So I, you know, it's, it's pretty much high fat, low carb, but, but erring on the side of extra protein. So I, I'm more carnivore keto then I am keto. Um, and then I'm, you know, I'm bringing in fruit and starch, like potatoes, sweet potatoes, um, fruit more strategically around effort and volume. So when I'm doing bigger workouts, like that fruit comes in after workouts, like my carb count goes up that day, specific day. But if it's a rest day, I'm probably more carnivore keto. I just err on a lot more protein. I try to get my body weigh in grams a day of protein. So I weigh 139 pounds. I try to get 139 grams of carbohydrate or protein a day. Reflecting back, Jeff, you know, I, I remember the 2015 timeframe and, you know, talking to Zach and going to trade shows and probably seeing you or run rabbit run or whatever. Who was, who was the initial influencer to go low carb? Who was the person or what, 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 what tick, ticked you off, man? What, what, I had talked to Zach the most. Um, we'd been on a couple of training runs in Salt Lake at, because we were both sponsored by Ultra. And 
we had gone out on some training runs. Actually, right before I was sponsored by Ultra. Yeah, before Run Rabbit Run there. We were court, we were courting, and um, I was at Outdoor Retailer, and uh, and I we went out on a training run, and Zach and I really geeked out on nutrition because I was already geeking out. I was already like Whole Foods organic, had been for like 12 years, raw milk, soaked my legumes, you know, sprouted grains. Like I was like super geeky about it, you know, or, you know, everything, raw cheese, raw milk, you know, went to like farm, like local ranches to find meat, that kind of stuff. Like as soon as I moved to a new, if I moved to a new town or whatever, I'd like, I find a a local ranch I can get a quarter from. So all those kind of things, we geeked out on that. Mm -hmm. But he was already like super strict and I was like, whoa. And I, I didn't, I didn't know if like for me at that time, I was just too lazy to like make that shift. I wasn't disciplined enough. I wasn't mentally ready to be there. But when I had the health stuff, I started doing a bunch of research. And after a week, I had like a candida overgrowth in my gut. And I've talked about this in a lot of podcasts, but, and I'll keep it short. I basically just kind of had like a candida overgrowth in my GI tract. So basically I would, I would have flare ups when I'd have way too many simple carbs. And I noticed that grains really set it off. Beer sets it off. And and I had like a bunch of flare ups, like six or seven flare ups in 2015. So at the end of the season, I was like November, the end of November around Thanksgiving, I had a major, another flare up. And I was just like, I get really itchy and a rash. And I just was like horrible. And I mean, lifestyle, I mean, I was freaking out. Like I would have freak out and I couldn't sleep at night when it flare up. And I deal for it about a week and then it would like go into remission and chill out and then it would come back. I'd been to a naturopath trying to figure out what was going on. And so finally I got sat down like one whole week from like eight o'clock to midnight every night. I researched, I was on my laptop at the kitchen table and my kids were in bed. And I was just like looking at like nutritional. I'm like, I knew enough about nutrition at that point. I was like, there's got to be a dietary approach to, the, to, to managing this. And so I kind of fi- had figured out that point, narrowed it down to candida and, and yeast basically an issue. And so I like, started eating on like said, you know, everything I came across was paleo forums, primal blueprint forums, keto forums. And they were all saying the same thing. You it's yeast. It feeds on sugar. You need to cut out carbs. And I was like, okay. I sat away like 20, 30 hours of research that week. I pushed away at the end of the table that week. And I looked at my wife and I go, I think I need to go paleo. She goes, I have two cookbooks. Um, <laughs> she go paleo forever. And, um, and, wanted to try it, but I, I'm the one that was the barrier. I kept saying, no, I need rice and beef. You know, I need my rice. I need my bread, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, cause I'm an endurance athlete. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so anyway, she, anyway, we, we just started that week. Like I cut out everything. I called Zach first. I said, help me out here, dude. I like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, I'm reading stuff. Like, just give me some tips. And he gave me tips. He put me in contact with Peter Defty at Vespa Peter and I, like mm-hmm. Peter really mentored me too. So those two were the most, like probably mentored to me the most in the first like six months. Um, and both are still like, we trade notes all the time now. Yeah. You know, I've been doing almost six years now. So like. Um, yeah. I missed the, you know, I missed like, the trade I, shows. I, I missed the trade shows talking to Zach and, you know, even Mike. You know, you, you know, one of one of your former athletes. Or is he still? Does he still work with you? Yeah, I'm still coaching. Tonight, okay. So. Yeah. You know, and for me, you know, th- there's there's all these kind of lead-ins, and I didn't know exactly what your lead-in was to to that to that big change, Jeff. You know, and and for me, it was a matter of being able to take in calories while racing, 
and not have gastric distress. And because I just had to take so much volume because I was so carb based from being in a collegiate background, road background, where I was just, you know, just bread and pasta and gels and, 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 and fruit and sugar. And I would, you know, have to wake up in the middle of the night and have food next to my bed. I'd have to, you know, have two dinners. And when I got into the race, I'd have to, you know, try to get three, 400 calories. And it would, you know, all of a sudden, 10 hours, eight hours, whatever, I would puke. And, and I was like, it, it, the solution for me was came from uh, Timmy Olson, who had the same. He's always had struggles with uh, nutrition and, and, and running, um, you know, d- you know, during during effort. And he's like, hey, I went and did this low carb thing and I don't have to take quite as many. My body's a lot more fat adapted. And I was like, oh, OK. And that's how I got into it in 2013, 2014. And that change and that that mood stuff, and then being able to race without having you know a big old fat goo bomb puke, you know, was was like you know my motivations. And then now I've seen so many different. Dude, races. I used to take sixty to seventy gels in a hundred. <laughs> sixty to seventy—that's six thousand wow. to seven thousand calories in gels. Think about how much like that is in a pile. Yeah. <laughs> like so many, and now I I maybe take two thousand calories. Yeah, you know, yeah. over a whole hundred. You know, like I I cut it in a third or or more mm-hmm. of what I used to take. Being fat adapted, like I love it because it's like one, I don't have to carry as much. Especially if you're on like backcountry adventures, it's like oh yeah, man, I got like you know I got a few gels and you know, some plantain chips and I got a little powder for my bottle, you know, and some Ziploc baggies, but I'm good. Like I don't need much weight. Yeah. You know, and I can go all day. I I had the same experience and then I got got into spring. Uh, I know that you're now maybe working with mirror, right? Uh, It's just a, just a better gel. That's not so glucosey shit, sugar processed stuff. And I've now come back to a volume of calories per hour. That's higher than it was, you know, a few years ago or four years ago or five years ago. But because it's a better fuel and I'm fat adapted, I've kind of hit this beautiful kind of like, you know, balance for me. But uh, it's really interesting to see how you've come that way. Zach's come that way. Mike, Timmy, all of these people. But it's still kind of peripheral about, you know, the reasons why besides, you know, being a, you know, a fat adapted and being able to, you know, burn your fat more. You know, people know that. But there's all these other nuances like your, you know, your flare ups uh, like me, you know, being moody and feeling like shit because I'm always having to pound so much carbs it's really interesting to dig into that a yeah. little bit. And I feel like there's still so much out there and the stories of, of how that some of these pioneers in our sport of getting, uh, you know, nutrition to work for us has, has, has played out. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Jeff, did you adapt your training as you, as you changed to a paleo lifestyle? Um, I did in, in the early days, like, well, I was in the middle of training for hurt 100 when I made the shifts, I was seven weeks from running hurt 100. So I did a serious crash course and I went monk style. Like I cut out out at the time I cut out coffee and alcohol, both. Um, just cause I was like trying to manage a candida thing too, at the same time. So that was the height of the candida. And then I really got on top of it. Like it's been I mean, I occasionally have a hint of a flare up if I go really crazy for like two or three weeks with like drink to, you know, drink, like having like a bourbon in the evenings or a gin every night and, you know, or something like that. And, and eating some like, you know, extra carbs and 
chips or something, then if I get kind of junky for a week or two, it might, I might get a hint of a flare up. Like just, I know the warning sign now. So I'm like, okay, tighten up. And that's when I go like carnivore, I just go like super low carb for, and it'll just like gone. Um, so it'll check it. So like for me, that first shift was really kind of crazy because I was trying to do Mondo long runs, you know, that seven to three weeks out from the race. So I had to learn how to not only take simple calories on the long run, but I also had to learn how to eat at the same time I was learning what I was doing. So it was a crash course. And I think it, I feel like it takes a year (laughs) to really like get into the groove and just be like totally like second nature where you're not like second guessing yourself and thinking about it all the time or how, Oh wait, how much the carbs are in that? You know, you just kind of know what, what foods to, to go for, what foods to avoid, you know? So it, it takes a while. I think there's a learning curve, a longer learning curve that is not necessarily appreciated by the endurance community who've tried it and say, Oh, it doesn't work for me. You know, it, it takes a long time, a commitment and it takes commitment, man. You, I mean, I needed personally, if you look at me, like I needed, I needed that, health issue to give me the kick in the butt Mm -hmm. and to keep me on the straight and narrow. I needed, and I needed that in the background hovering to where it's like, you can always have a flare up. (laughs) You can always have a flare up, you know? So it's actually good for me because it keeps me accountable. Like I can't, I can't stray too far, you know, because if you look at my family, my family's overweight, my whole family's from the Midwest. My dad died of diabetes and heart conditions and, and basically from complications from diabetes and had a heart attack in his sixties and a stroke in his sixties and died at 72, you know? So like from basically his nutrition, Mm -hmm. you know, if we look at it and crunch it, it's like, it's from eating the way he ate for his whole life. Right. And so I'm the only thin person, you know, (laughs) besides my mom who's now in a rest home and who's got Alzheimer's and she's, She's super thin now. She was not forever, yeah. but, you know, also patients tend to like waste away. So, um, well, Jeff, I, what I think is really interesting, th- this is shifting gears a little bit, but I feel like in our sport, as you are well aware, uh, and we are all hopefully well aware is we have a problem with longevity in our sport, not so much maybe because of nutrition, but because of training. And it sounds like from listening to you, you've had the governor of having lots of kids, of having, um, you know, a situation where you need to be the breadwinner. (laughs) And, you know, in your early days when maybe you were more likely and you weren't coaching so much, you could have done what this guy right here, uh, you know, where I didn't have a lot of kids. I just had Felix and I was able to, you know, uh, just go this full-time athlete route. And, and, And I went and I did too much. And I started to burn out, you know, after winning Hard Rock with Killian and, you know, deciding, you know, it's great if I'm out for 30 hours a week and doing 30,000 vert, et cetera. Like most most of the, the elite guys and gals, too, you know, from 2006 to 2020. Does that, but it's not sustainable. No. It's not sustainable. But I, I think it's interesting that, that how you had that governor. And for me, you know, it was a governor of like, you know, seeing uh, people in our sport like Tony, like Timmy, like uh, Jeff Rose, like, you know, all of those legends that kind of, woo, you know, did way too much. And, and, and I think it's interesting that, that I think your solution of, of kind of coaching and your lifestyle and what you had to 
take care of and you know had to, you had to find a way to get enough you know that uh, that kept you kicking ass you know through those those years and now you're smart enough and 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 uh, I, I think I think it's profound and I think it's really neat. No, and I think that's a lesson to anybody who wants longevity is that you have to find a balance between you can't train like I, I look at my hours and it's like maybe I average probably 10 to 12 hours of training a week, maybe, you know, 15 to 17 on big blocks, mm -hmm. but I never much break over 20. Right. And, and I find that that's very sustainable, you know, for yeah. me with mountain running at altitude, you know, a lot of trail running, I do mostly trail running. I hardly ever run on the road unless it's on the way to a trail. Mm -hmm. So, you know, being where I've always lived, I've always had good trail access. And so for me, I, my miles are mostly on dirt and with some vert. And so, you know, my mileage is more like 60, my sweet spots, probably, you know, 50 to 80, depending on where I am in training, 50 to 80 a week, occasionally a 90 or hundred mile week, but that's all dirt, mostly dirt, 80, 90% dirt and at altitude. So, you know, that's been sustainable for me. And I mix in cycling too. I've come from a mountain biking background before getting into ultra running. I was a big mountain biker, worked at a bike shop in the early nineties. You know, I've always had multiple bikes in my garage. I think I have five just for me. Um, <laughs> uh, I have a townie commuter, a cross bike, a road bike, a mountain bike, and an older mountain bike. That's kind of like my trailhead commuter. So it's got flat pedals and it's been redone. It's a nineties old steel frame and it's redone into like a sweet cause it's one I can drop the seat post all the way down yes. and be at like a, tr a train park, you know, with the kids and be like, woohoo, you know? <laughs> um, so, but I use that as my trailhead commuter. Like I, you know, I live in Flagstaff now and I mean, I'm within a half a mile I'm on dirt, but I can ride about three miles in and I can be on the Arizona trail. So if I, I'll ride three miles in, lock my bike to a tree, hang the helmet on the tree on the bike and like take off and run for an hour or two and then come back and bike and then commute home. So you're getting an hour, half an hour, 45 minutes on the bike and then another hour and a half running. So that extra volume helps too. And there's no pounding and I love the bike. It's so fun. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like, you know, I can glean these nuggets here, Jeff, you know, there was the nutritional side and, and there was uh, the, the, the alcohol side, the alcohol side for me in particular, I used to booze all the time, you know, even into my ultra days every week, you know, getting drunk. And, uh, I had to take that out. I had to figure out the nutrition thing. And then I had to basically burn out almost to the point where, you know, it was going to, you know, change my career. I, I, you know, I weighed almost eight pounds less than I do now. And, and, you know, had to take only six days a week and go to a, a, a measurable amount, like, like you are 50 to 80, that was brand new. Like I, you know, I needed to be 80 to 120. You know, that's what I felt like I had to be. And so like, you know, to champion that and say, hey, look at Jeff Browning winning 22 wins. You know, look at, you know, Jason and Jeff winning good, awesome 100 milers in their 40s and, and finding out why. Because I still, you know, get messages of saying, hey, how can I get up to 100 mile weeks like you? And I'm like... No, no, I, you don't. You don't. And I have a really, really good body at going. Like, Dude, I maybe break a hundred like three times. Me, a year. I don't. Yeah, I have it. A you lot. know, I'm actually break a hundred. 
you know, every time I run a hundred that week, I break a hundred. So maybe four <laughs> times a year. Um, no, but maybe, maybe three in training, seriously in training, maybe three times a year I or four times a year, I might break a hundred mile week. And it's literally like one Oh two, yeah, you know, or one Oh five. It's like barely over a hundred. And I find that quality versus quantity, um, just like that's an old saying, but it's so true in so many things and nutrition, you know, quality versus quantity, you know, it's always, that's such a, a like a universally good thing. Like and, mantra, and even beer you know? and, and versus bourbon. You, you were saying you're drinking bourbon and gin, <laughs> not drinking PBR, right? I mean, <laughs> exactly. Quality over and quantity. It's good bourbon. Yes, absolutely. Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, minimum minimum i mean it has to be minimum bullets you know in in or better so that's my point like if i go even if i go out to eat, drink and eat i you know i'd rather have one good one from the top shelf than i would like to yeah. have three from yeah. the well gotcha. you know yeah good yeah these these are all good things that i still feel like aren't out there as as much as and and, and, and as profoundly as it should be about the intensity and volume versus quality and, and, and all those kind of balances and figuring out that nutrition stuff, over racing, all of these things that we were talking about 10 years ago, you know, still kind of there, you know, it, 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 it's in our sport, it's in people that are up and coming, it's in the middle of the pack, you know, and it just, it just, it, I, I want to make it a mission that, you know, we, we kind of change that so that we can, can all have a little bit more fun and, and do this longer and have a healthy relationship with the sport. Totally. Part of it is that this is a lot of these questions are still up for debate, right? Like Jason Coop wrote a book in 2016 where he made the argument. He was one of the most prominent ultra running coaches in the country, arguably. And he made the argument that fat adaptation is a farce and that you can't be fat adapted and, and then also like do high volumes of quality work and a lot of long run workouts. And, and I don't know when this will go to go to rest, but I came into running again, seriously in 2007 and it was like, you know, pasta dinners and carb loading. And, you know, I went vegetarian for a long time and just ate my weight and bread and pasta and rice and, I eventually had health problems too and suffered all the GI distress from just like crushing nothing but multidextrin for a four hour race or whatever. And then there's always some almost life catalyst or something that brings us, it seems, into this conversation about health and exercise stress and thinking about really how, how do we manage, especially endurance sports, and I wonder if a lot of it is about the distinction between racing three hours or less, you know? So if you're at sort of like that high level of marathon training and you're running three hours or less, it's a very different conversation than if you're running for more than four hours or you're running for 12 hours or 24 hours. I think that's still up for debate though, because what we're seeing in some of the numbers on fat adapt athletes who've been like N equals one tested in labs um, that, that you can push still primary 90% onboard fat at nearly 90% of your VO2 max. So that's a different, that's a game changer when it comes to like the marathon, even like what you're running a marathon at effort wise, like elites. I, I think there is a place for fat adaptation in the, in the marathon, even 
I'll I'll throw that out there now and 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 I may be disproven and 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 I'll and I'll accept it if it's disproven if someone but no one's really done it yet and then there's not enough data for people to 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 risk their paycheck to elite to risk his paycheck to go there mm-hmm. and, and the tradition in the sport is high carb so until that dogma's gone you're you're not going to have someone step up and do it but but I would argue that it's possible I think based on some of the testing we've seen in ultra runners. And, and I would say once you go over three hours, it's totally appropriate um, for ultra marathons, especially um, you just like it gets, you get stronger and stronger the longer you do it. And the more adapted you just, the more consistent you are over the years, I've seen my numbers change and go up even higher. And I've had, I've been tested multiple times in labs and, and the numbers are, you know, I'm seeing a, a 90% of VO2 max at, you know, 90% onboard fat burning in, mm-hmm. in me. So, you know, and I'm in equals one, but I also would say that, that, that to, to Coop's defense um, is that he's basing it on the current studies and the current data that's been done. Right. And I would argue that those date, the data points there, even if we look at the faster study on fat adapt athletes, or if we look at, stuff that Louise Burke did on elite race walkers, either one, like the keto camp wants to, to latch on to the stuff that, that Volick did uh, in the faster study. But I would argue that he had some stuff wrong. And so does the Louise Burke and that, that both in both sides, they're both being looking at it with blinders. They're looking at it like keto, strict keto, or over here with Louise, strict keto, and then bring back carbs for 10 days before the race. And like, that's not how we do it. It's right. like the wrong approach. You bring back, if you are keto during the big block of training, you're going to have low, you're going to mess with your bone density. You're, you're going to mess with your bone health. You better be bringing your carbs up. I just would argue that we bring paleo carbs back, fruit, sweet potatoes, red potatoes, yeah. stuff like that. You bring it back your carbs strategically around the days you're on big days so you can top off glycogen, repair bone health from that hard workout, and then have give it the resources it needs strategically. And then on your other days, you can go low carb. When you're on a rest day, you're going to knock your inflammation down by going low carb and not bringing those carbs in to bring in all that water retention that you get from carbohydrate intake. And so strategically using, that's why, that's why I keep advocating. I'm saying it's not keto athlete. It's not high carb athlete that's the best. It's OFM is in the middle. OFM is like using ketogenic as a tool, using carnivore as a tool, using high high carb sometimes as a tool. So like there's times when high carb, higher carb is appropriate. You know, 200 grams of carbs a day. Does a person need 500 grams of carbs a day or 400? No, that's just someone overeating. Like that's all you're doing. You're like, you're, you're just fiending, man like on whatever you're into, right? Whether it's chocolate chip cookies or pasta or rice, chip, right? Yep. And anyone knows, I mean, that's from our hunter-gatherer days. I like That's why I like the ancestral approach in general for nutrition. It's the way we're genetically wired, right? We aren't that far removed from hunter-gatherer genetically. So that's what we thrive on is that kind of a general diet. Now we can go off of that diet sometimes, but if you're off it long-term and you're off, if you, if you take any endurance athlete and you keep them on the same trajectory they're on in a high carb diet and you take away their exercise, they're, they're going to be, they're going to get type two diabetes, like pretty mm-hmm. good chance. 
right? By the time they're mm-hmm. 50, right? Yeah. And you, you're even seeing that in some athletes are getting type 2 diabetes that are thin, right? I mean, Tim Noakes is a good example. He got type 2 diabetes as a thin runner, right? right? A high-carb athlete who coined carb loading right. in low running, right? So, I mean, there, and he's come out and said, you know, what I thought I knew is not right. We shouldn't carb load. He's for a high-fat, low-carb diet right. and for long-term health. So, you know, there's a lot of arguments out there, and, and I would argue that the data – there hasn't been a, a proper scientific study on endurance athletes that are for o- the way we use it in yeah. real life. It's all been in a, like a lab where it's like, you know, not done right. Keto during the big block carbs, 10 days out, you just wasted all the work you just did with your low carb by bringing back carbs for 10 days. You're not going to be burning fat at a high rate by the time you hit race day. You know, it's going to yeah. downregulate your fat burning. You want to use both fuel sources. You need to be able to burn glucose well and fat well, not just fat and keto Correct. and not just carbs and carbs. And, and I, I would argue that you don't have to be religious about either one. No. And the fact that, you know, taking out a good chunk of my processed, you know, grain kind of flour kind of, uh, you know, intake and just replacing it with good fruit with you know a little bit more wholesome grains and then you know bringing in that good protein and, and for for me you know animal based uh, that even if i don't get to an amazing level of, of fat adaptation or ketosis i am doing better and you know to take that that part of the the that that's the yeah. part that is like you know it's it's like you know two people arguing that are complete on bipolar sides and it's like well actually let, let let's settle down and like you know find some middle ground for a lot of people that maybe aren't you know that you know focused in on trying to find that you know I'm going to go to this all the way over to this side or all the way over to that side I'm going to you know go completely that way or the other way and it's I feel like so many people are discouraged from from realizing a lot of the improvements that can happen when you adjust your diet to a bet, better balance and more reasonable balance. Like like you were saying, you know, you're just over you're just overeating if you go over that what was it 400 grams or whatever you know of of carbs. You know, it, it, just get that awareness and then you know be okay to have carbs and and not be like oh my gosh I'm gonna go full keto i'm gonna go full paleo and and i i think that that's where we lose a lot of people and and lose a lot of the uh the the, the benefit of of realizing what what you have realized and what you know other people other athletes have you know and i, I would pair that with kind of changing directions of kind of the you know the the model of the burnout of going to the extreme of training as well and like going all the way i'm gonna do the 100 mile weeks well, actually, you need to come into the middle ground, run six right. days a week. It is not all about doing doubles and, and you know, faster every single week that, that the kind of human nature is, you know, and, and then also competing with your partners and your friends at, at every workout, you know, realizing where the goodness is, bringing it to yourself and finding moderation and that, getting that recipe for success. I think that's that's where that's where the goodness is and that's where the message that that we need to like be able to bring to our sport i think that's a really good point because if i look at like the my history in ultra running mine's all i've always come to the sport as kind of my like take a deep Mm -hmm. breath time right not as like oh i gotta get my training in 
you know, I still have those days where I need to get my training in, but specific workouts. But overall, as an umbrella approach to running, it's always been a healthy approach, meaning meaning I like I need that stress relief away from the mm-hmm. computer, away from just let me think about like life right now, like what's going on with my job, what's going on with like the design project I'm working on, what's going on with the coaching clients now. It's coaching clients, not design projects. You know, it's like what's going on with my coaching clients? What can I do for that person I'm thinking about today? What can I do for that person, this other athlete I'm working with? You know, it, it helps me like work through your thoughts, right? I don't listen to music much when I run. I like to have my just my my free form mental like clarity moments. You know, I always carry my phone on airplane mode so no one can get a hold of me, but I always have my notes so I can like stop on the trail and I don't even shut my watch yeah. off. Like I just let Strava deal with that when I my moving time. And I just go, okay, yeah, oh, yeah. So I've sat at a trail, on a trail in the middle of the woods, just typing on my notes on my phone because I had yeah. a business idea, you know? I've done it or too. I'm like, well, you know what? That one athlete, I, I want to do this. Boom, 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 boom. I give myself notes so I don't forget it when I get back. And, and like, so, like, you can have these, like, great – I've always been an entrepreneur and always been self-employed since I was 30, and I'm 49. So for 19 years, I've been self-employed. And so, like, I've always, like – that has always been just like second nature to have business ideas and some might come to fruition and some mm-hmm. might not. But if you don't jot them down, you know, in those moments of clarity, when you're running in the middle of the woods, then you get back to the trail and you're like, what was that thing? Or you don't even think about it. You've completely forgotten about the time you get back to the trailhead. So like having the discipline to also use your running time to be part of your business time mm-hmm. if it has to be. In, in an yeah. entrepreneurial way. Maybe that would help people s- stop stressing about the minutes per mile and, you know, running faster than that last Tuesday when you ran this note from the house. Find your flow. Yeah, we, you know, we, we really champion and uh, run beyond, uh, you know, effort base and heart rate and, and perceived effort. Better yet, and that, that that's a that's a great benefit to it because you're just you're just having your time on some of these easy recovery days and be able to have a life balance and do some great things and planning because you're relaxed, you're not over there counting the seconds, you know, and that's 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 something that is tough to do for uh, for myself sometimes, and I'm sure for you as well. You know, there's work runs and stuff where you want to be faster, but getting back to that good good place that that happy place it, it it has benefits all around it's so good yeah totally absolutely yeah <laughs> for sure awesome man well you know we are getting close to to the time what yeah, uh, is, is there anything else you wanted to ask jason or how about you jeff i guess maybe a parting question for you jeff is how do you make it through three or four 100 mile races in a year in a short period of time what does that recovery and rebuild look like is there any downtime no rest for the weary or what uh i mean i i've been running pretty chill since zion i mean i'm watching everyone on on instagram right now like western states western states is coming and everyone's training their butt off right now and i'm like i'm renovating a house and i'm running six (laughs) miles a day um and i haven't done a long run since zion so you know like i'm just chilling let my body kind of recover for a couple weeks i'm pretty good having three kids and a full-time business coaching business and like all that, I, there's plenty to do. I don't have enough time in the day usually. So, you know, there's always like three, five, 10 things that get pushed to the next day. And then those get pushed to the next day, you know, every day, there's always a to-do list. 
And so for me, like this time after hundreds is kind of nice because I know, well, I just ran a hundred mile run in one run. So specificity, baby. Um, and yeah. so I just, I just it, it let my body, ad, let it, let that adaptation settle in and, and not get stressed about getting back on the horse. Like there's times I have to manage that mentally be like, Oh man, I need to be training. I'm looking at Instagram and everyone else is training. Yeah. yeah. You know? But that's normal. That's normal behavior. But also yeah. I need to go, you know what? I'd rather be like kind of hungry again to train. And so like I'm get, I'm starting to get the hunger again this week because I've got all these other things going on and I'm probably not going to get like really running good till next week. So I just kind of try to get my maintenance runs in every day and take a break and like jot, jet out from the house and run flat six miler with about 400 feet of climbing on trail and come back, you know, and get back to work. Um, and that's what, that's my space right now. And I've always been good at doing that. And when you're doing that many hundreds a year, it's easy to go, you know what? I just did a hundred. I need the rest more than I need the training. So I need to just get back to running normally every day for an hour. And once I'm back to an hour every day, then I can introduce the long run again. And that's comfortable to make sure that there's no lingering stuff going on because there's been plenty of times where I bounce back, come back. And then like, you know, four days after the race, I'm running again. And then on day seven, I'm like, Oh, my knee's sore. You know, yeah. and it's just like, well, mm -hmm. you need to chill. And I should have chilled at the beginning and I wouldn't be like dealing with it on day seven. And if I would have just chilled till day seven, that would have never popped up and I'd just be back to training. So learning also that you have like a two week window after the race to really chill, like get back to running an hour a day, but like chill and, and embrace it, do other things. And yeah. I just am like trying to knock out as much house stuff right mm -hmm. now as I can, you know, cause we have a new house and we're renovating and, and well, it's an old house and we're renovating mm -hmm. new house to us. And, and so just dealing with that, you know, like I, I today I got to find a place to run, but I hardly have a window to run today. I got to run to go talk to the guy who's doing counters, you know, and give him a deposit. And like, you know, I got to run across town and when I normally run. So you know, it's, those days you just embrace them and take it a rest day if you need it. Sometimes you have forced rest days and you just chill and, and then you get back on it and show up at starting line and find your inner warrior. I love, I love the message. So at the outset, I asked you what your secret was for success. And, and I think what we've seen here to come full circle is there's no secret. Strength train, work on mobility, functional range of motion eat real food, <laughs> uh, and, you know, play, play on the concept of metabolic flexibility. So fuel your body for the exercise that you're engaged in moderation, you know, all good things are best quality with moderation. Quantity. Yeah. Quality versus yeah. quantity. So I think in there too, is, you know, just getting to know yourself. Like, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't talk about that too much, but I know what works for me. Jeff knows what works for himself and, and, you know, being not getting antsy and anxious about you know, comparison. I think that that's a tough one, you know, and totally. just being solid with that, you know, he's seeing people run around for Western States and I, I know you're an anxious, high, high moving fast dude, just like me. And, you know, when you want to get out there and, and, and pummel yourself, that's in our nature and to, to trust the process not compare and know what works for yourself, for diet, for, 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 for working out, for rest, for alternative training, for mobility, for strength, all of it. You know, it's a, it's a journey to find all of that stuff.
Yep. Good stuff, Jeff. Thank it you is. so awesome, much. Man, this, has, this has been great. Yeah. Good jamming with you. Groovy. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. Awesome. Get you out. Well, we hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. If so, please follow our podcast or subscribe, depending on whatever your podcast player wants you to do in order to follow our show and get regular episodes. You can also follow us on social media at the Run Beyond Experience.